Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea, it's business, but it's personal. Welcome to the second part of my very special Jazz Shapers Uncut with Sir Martin Sorrell, founder of WPP, the Advertising and Marketing Services Group, and S4 Capital, an advertising and marketing company for the digital age. Jazz Shapers Uncut is where we get to have a more in-depth conversation with a brilliant business shaper. And if you missed the first part of my conversation with Sir Martin last Saturday, worry not. It's all on the Jazz Shapers podcast. Just pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Alternatively, you can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers. Raised in northwest London, the grandson of Eastern European immigrants, Sir Martin attended Cambridge and Harvard. And after nine years of doing many things, including leading acquisitions for Saatchi and Saatchi, the London ad agency, he quit. He was 40. This he thought could be his last chance, and indeed his first, to build his own business. He and a partner bought a controlling stake in Wire and Plastic Products, a company that made wire shopping baskets. And under his leadership, he built the renamed WPP into the world's largest advertising group of companies with a market capitalization of over £16 billion. 400 companies with over 200,000 people spread across 113 countries, stunning the market with acquisitions of advertising agencies J. Walter Thompson, Ogilvy & Mather and many others. Sir Martin, with a tenure of 33 years, became the longest-serving and highest-paid FTSE 100 CEO. When he left the company, aged 73, he said, I had nothing to do and I wasn't going to go and play golf. A few weeks later, he founded S4 Capital, building a purely digital advertising and marketing services business, aiming to offer a better, faster, cheaper service than established players. Clients already include Google, Nestle and Procter & Gamble. We'll be chatting to Sir Martin in a few minutes, and we've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, Bob James, Jamie Cullum and O.V. Wright. That, ladies and gentlemen, is today's Jazz Shapers Uncut special. Here's Ray Charles with Hit The Road Jack. That was Ray Charles with Hit the Road Jack. I'm delighted to be joined by Sir Martin Sorrell for the second part of this Jazz Shapers Uncut special. Sir Martin, you, you had 200,000 people working for you. Not quite. 100, 132, and then we, the associates, as companies we own, yeah. under 50% of was another 60,000, 70,000. Okay, that's quite a lot of people, though. So a lot of I, I, you mentioned your father's gift for managing people yeah. for, for time as well and all mm. that. In terms of how you saw your responsibility, was your responsibility to shareholders primarily or to the people? Who no, I, listen, I think... Because, and then in terms of people management, I was going to ask, your executive team had to be all over it. I mean, you are renowned to be yeah. excellent with the detail, and yet you've also got people that, you know, once they, they work with you and they're loyal and you're loyal, they, you let them get on with it. Yeah. There's the... a, what, where did you f- spend your time? Well, first of all, on this, this thing about you know, ESG, stakeholders, whatever you want to call it, my view is very simple. We overcomplicate the stuff. And if you're, in, if you're focused on the long term, this is not me, this is John Brown. He used to run BP in 1997 at Stanford Business School, I think it was. He made a speech where he said, 
you know, if you're in business for the long term, everything slots neatly into place. You know, all the stakeholders are taken care of. You know, you invest in people, yeah. it, it gives you benefit in the long term. You know, you're in the oil business, you don't rip the oil out of the ground in the shortest possible time, in the crudest way. You do it in an environmentally safe way, if there is a way to do that, and you do it, you do it properly. So long-termism, which is... The problem that we have at the moment, in my view, because everything is too short term with you. If you're running an uncontrolled listed company, it's a company you don't control. You know, the, the governance wonks would say control. Like an S4, I have a controlling share. They would say that's wrong. Mm. I think that enables me, without fear of failure, to focus on the long long term. And I think that's good. If you have a lunatic in charge, you've got a, you've got a problem. But I, I think long termism is the key issue. You know, private equity is too short term. You know, the average hold period is five years. Most of them, when they make an investment, the thing they're looking for before they make the investment is the exit. But you were managing quarterly earnings. I well, mean, you were doing yeah, that for years have, and yes, years. And thereby hangs the problem because I think at WPP, you know, if I'm going to be self-critical for a minute, God forbid, but if I'm going to be self-critical... You heard it here first, we, 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 we didn't, I didn't, focus enough on the long term. term. Mm. Looking at where WPP is now, and I'm still a major shareholder, yeah, the biggest sure. personal shareholder there, uh, given the, the collapse we've seen in the share price recently, it's clearly it cannot be done. And I don't think the management is right, clearly, because you know, it's been two years and they ain't cutting it. So it, it, there has to be a change. And secondly, they cannot do it in the public atmosphere. It has to be done privately. You take it private or you break it up. There's no doubt about that in my mind whatsoever. You know, you were in Publicis or in or in Burnett as the forerunner to Publicis. And then Publicis, yeah. And they have, to be, they have to be broken up in the same way. There was a mm. broker circular this morning from BNP Exxon, I think it is, who said, you know, here's the breakup analysis and the, the LBO returns that you will get at various premia to the current market price. Stay with me for much more from my business shaper, Sir Martin Sorrell. We'll be back with him in a little while. Time for some more music right now. Here's Bob James with Nautilus. That was Bob James with Nautilus. I'm with Sir Martin Sorrell for a very special and our very first Jazz Shapers Uncut. It's part two, if you missed part one, just going to iTunes, as I said earlier. Just to understand on the, yeah. on the people front for a moment, did people either get you and they're with you or they didn't and they weren't? No, I mean... Because I think, I, obviously, you're going to be a tough was taskmaster. Was I, no, I wasn't a tough t- taskmaster. I mean, you know, we... <laughs> he says we smiling. Should, no, 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 I wasn't... <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm thinking... Hey, we would sit down at the beginning of the year. We would plot out a three-year plan, which is what exactly what we do at S4 Capital. We'd then plot out the budgets. Now, people would describe me as being, you know, into the minutiae, a micromanager. I always thought that was a compliment. You know, that goes back to my dad for a minute, right? Mm. You know, the retail is detail was a phrase not that he used, but other people use. And I think if you don't know, you know, why do I, why do I, am I interested in the information? I'm interested in it not because I think... I need to double check or second guess. But I want to know what the hell's going on. You know, if if you said to me, you know, put you on a desert island, which three pieces of information would you like? I'd like uh, like for like gross profit growth or revenue growth, gross profit growth most, uh, headcount 
you know, how much is the headcount up and then net cash because, you know, our business is basically a big cash conversion business. 100% over thereabouts of profits goes to cash. So if the cash starts to go wrong, obviously you've got capital payments or you've got your acquisition payments. But if you know what those are, if the cash starts to go wrong, you're doing something wrong. And the headcounting, you know, balancing revenue increases with headcount increases is critically important because 60% of your revenue is investment. You know that from the legal business. Property is the second biggest cost or investment, and that's probably usually six, seven, eight percent of revenue. So, two thirds of revenues are in people, investment you make in people. And I say investment, not cost, mm. and investment in property. And that's more longer term. You, you, you can buy, you know, for example, S4. First half of the year, we over invested in people because we were going to have a strong year. You'll see the results on March the 18th, but you know, it was a justifiable thing to do in the first half in order to make the second half successful. So balancing it. So this micromanagement, you know, he's an accountant, which I'm not technically. I'm a business school graduate, if there's a difference. Some people listening, if there is anybody listening, will think, uh, you know, there's no difference. No. So you think about it strategically and tactically, and I'm just interested in the detail. I, I would just want to add one other thing. Where I've seen people withdraw from the detail, they fail. And on that thought, which is a good thought, make sure you don't miss the detail. Stay with me for much more from my business shaper. It's Sir Martin Sorrell. We'll be back with him in a couple of minutes. But first, let's hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea with some advice for your business. I'm Sonal Gandhi. I'm a partner in the real estate group at Mishkondorea. I act for the private individual and their companies in buying and selling high-end residential properties in central London, as well as acting for private banks in their secured lending work um, on residential properties. The most important thing to know about working on complicated transactions is to effectively appoint a pivotal person that's going to act as the project manager of that transaction. Invariably, there's going to be a number of parties involved. It goes without saying that with so many people involved in a transaction, things can start going astray. So it's essential to have a go-to person. It's very much like that person is the conductor of an orchestra. All of the players are musicians in that orchestra. They each have a piece of music to read. Without that conductor, they're not going to play in tune, in harmony, to get the end result. Therefore, my advice is to have that person who can control, who can communicate and ensure that all parties are cooperating together. Too many cooks, disaster. They all start going off on their own agenda without having that person to essentially manage the process and effectively deliver that goal for that client. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed hear this programme again by popping Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Or you can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find many of the recent programmes. But back to today's guest in the concluding part of our Jazz Shapers Uncut special with Sir Martin Sorrell. He's the founder of WPP, the Advertising and Marketing Services Group and S4 Capital, an advertising and marketing company for the digital age. We've talked a little bit about your, um, your status, if you will, as the second generation the second generation in, in the family yes. from, from the Eastern and not dissimilar to me, I'm third or fourth, but yeah. it's, I've always had a, a sort of feeling... You're, that much, I, you're much classier than me. I, that yeah. I doubt. <laughs> I, I, I doubt. I mean, I couldn't possibly go on. Um, the, the feeling of being an outsider, 
Yeah, and not in a bad way, not in a kind of a, actually quite a positive way. I, I feel like I can look at stuff. When I lived abroad, I went, well, it's not mine, so I can look at it and I can see, and this is really funny, or there's the opportunity. It strikes me there's a bit of the outsider about you, just in some of the conversations we've had. I mean, from an immigrant point of view, and, I, and Jack Welsh passed away recently. Yeah. Son, only son yeah. of immigrant Irish Catholics. Yeah. Here I am talking to Martin Sorrell, only son of... Uh, yeah, it's it's second, well, second, second, obviously, he's first yeah, generation. Yeah. But but there's something about being fearless based on, well, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? Is, yeah. that, is that true for you um, as I don't you've know, gone along? I, I don't know whether it's tr- true for me. I mean, I was protected, right, because, because of my parents and being an only kid and all that stuff. Mm. And so I, I don't quite buy that. But, I, you know, but I taking do... on the establishment 1980s, 1987, you buy J. Walter Thompson. Yeah, well, there was, a, there was an element, firm. you know, I came, I, we, we took 14 days to do, I think 13 or 14 days. And I remember I flew back from New York overnight on Friday, landed at London Airport, and there was a wonderful guy called Len Spooner, who was the BA special services or whatever they called it in those days. And he came to me with the front page of the Times. And Rupert Fall Walker, who's now on our board, had had, used to travel in from, I think, Saffron Walden or something to London on a, on a train every day. And he, there was a Times journalist there. And Rupert sort of tipped him off. But, the, you know, this thing was... Because well, it was all in the papers anyway. And it wasn't inside information or anything like that. And Rupert said, you know, you should write a piece. And, and the front page of the, the Times you know, had the story. The front page of the Times. And the back page had a picture of the wireworks, you know, the, the Dagenham wireworks of wire and plastic products. I remember my parents being absolutely amazed, you know, because they had, uh, they connected the Times to anti-Semitism between the, the wars. It was, a you know, a high Tory, I guess, a high Tory newspaper. And they, you know, just didn't have stories that were pro-Semitic as opposed to anti-Semitic. And they were amazed that, you know, a little Jewish boy from Northwest London ends up on the front page of the of the times. So there was, you know, there's an element of that, I guess. And, you know, some people say chippy, you know, chip on the shoulder. But, you know, I think knowing your roots, S4 stands for four generations, right? So it's my grandparents, my parents, me and my kids. Actually, we probably should call it S5 because, you know, there are grandkids as well. So I, I just, uh, you know, I wanted, I wanted to. My father changed his name uh, to Sorrel what because was it originally it uh, doesn't matter. Because right. I, I, I thought uh, mine was well, uh, Moscow became Mos. no, no. It was actually Spitzberg was the name. I actually told Ken a letter when he when he read the book, and um, <laughs> so uh, it was Spitzberg. And he changed it. He lo- he loved a book by Warwick Deeping in 1924. I think it was published. He saw this book by Warwick called Sorrel and Son, and the BBC made it into a series. And it's about a sort of upstairs, downstairs story. It's about a butler who, who saves enough money to send his son. It's about his relationship with his son to private school, public school, whatever we call public school. And a lovely story. But he loved the book so much that he changed his name to Jack Sorrel from Jacob Spitzberg. And um, it was done because in those days there was heavy anti-Semitism. He was... Um, he was a sort of what I call a barrack room lawyer. He he you know he he had no qualifications whatsoever, but he he went to court in I think East London to protect sort of um, not to protect to try and defend sort of irregular let's put it like, like this irregular business conduct. conduct. Never met anyone and, like that. and <laughs> no training, but he, you but know and he grew a moustache to make himself look uh, look older. Um, so, but he, from the age of thirteen, he he was out on his own. We'll be back with my brilliant business shaper, Sir Martin Sorrell, in a little while. 
Time for some more music right now. Here's Jamie Cullum with Frumpton. Don't want to sound full of myself or rude But you ain't looking at no other dudes Cause you love me That was Jamie Cullum with Fronting. Here on Jazz Shapers, alongside our brilliant business shapers, we also celebrate the greatest musicians shaping the world of jazz, soul and blues. And we want to encourage support for those musicians and the music industry at a time when coronavirus is clearly having a huge impact on people, industries and economies across the world. We've written a piece, you can find it on jazzfm.com, on how you can support the musicians or the venues or the music charities that you love, whether that's financially or by communicating and engaging through their media channels and letting them know that you're with them. Thank you so much in advance. We'll return to my brilliant Jazz Shapers uncut guest, Sir Martin Sorrell, in a few minutes, plus we'll be playing a track from O.V. Wright. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was O.V. Wright with The Bottom Line, an apt name. The Bottom actually. Line, The Bottom yes, Line, you good. like The Bottom Line, don't you? As long as it's looking solid. You don't like the, bad, you don't like big weak. Bottom line. The Big The Big Bottom Line. So, Martin, let me ask you about money. Your relationship with it is what? You've obviously done extremely well. It doesn't matter by anyone's standard. I know there's always this, I meet lots of people who've done extremely sure. well. But, you know, I think 2016, whatever it was, it was a 40 million quid plus package and all that. And we can talk about, I meant, I met Tony Pidgeley. We talked yes. about his package and it's like, well, he had a great answer. I can't remember the answer, but it was a great answer about that. It's less so about... Great, so great you can't so remember So great it. I can't remember. I'd, it was, like, I'd like to know what it was. So it I was give so it to you the same. I, I think his point was it's relative and look at the shareholder value I've delivered. And what the hell? I mean, uh, but, but, but beyond that, for you though, it's not about the money, is it? Well, anymore it's a put it's about actually putting your money where your mouth is i mean i i borrowed uh, it was 250,000 pounds actually which at that i think i probably had a couple of million pounds worth of Saatchi stock i went to the bank and borrowed some money to buy the Warren plastic products stake you know i've done the same again i put 40 million into uh, which for me, for me is a lot of money for institutional shareholders it maybe not business but 40 million put another um, another 13, 14 million in uh, when we raised more money just recently. So I've got about 54 million pounds as an investment inside S4. I believe in putting your money where your mouth is and also basing it on performance. To, to Pidgeley's answer, you know, when we, when we did the first five-year plan, we did it in 1992 and we set share price targets. So there were five tranches, I think, over five years and we would get tranche one if the average stock price for 30 trading days was above one target. And this was just at the time of the Blair government. And a lot of people said they'll never get anywhere near those targets, those five targets, which were not beating the index or a basket of competitors. This was the index. And they said, you know, with Labour government, never. You know, And then others who were shrewder said, no, those they've set the targets. Management will deliver on those targets. Then we did... Uh, sort of uh, shareholder return to baskets of of competitors. Interestingly, in the early plans, I put money in, okay? I went and borrowed more money or realized 
from other assets, not selling shares, put more money in. And in the early, the first two flights that we had of general incentive plans, because I wasn't the only one, about 20 people at WPP who participated in them. In the first two flights, we insisted, I, I was really keen on this, put your money where your mouth is, make an investment, you know, treat it as though it's your own money. You put money in. If you want to participate in this plan, you mortgage your house, you mortgage your kids and your family, and you invest for five years, from 1992, right? This is now become the common way of, do, of doing it and committed. It was the institutions that turned around and said, no, 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 don't, don't worry about that. You know, if you've got stock, pledge the stock, or you don't even have to do that in the, in the later plans. And it lost, to my mind, it lost the edge because I think when a group of people have things at stake, you know, and, and at S4, you know, all our deals have been done on a half shares, half cash basis. We've said to, to people, you buy into our philosophy of creating a new age, new era model, that's what we want to do, and we want to disrupt the old model. There's two, two things. It's a messianic, you know, it's a missionary thing. And, you know, you're gonna, you can capitalize half of it, but you keep the other half, and you lock yourself in, and we're in this together. That, I think, is key. So it, it's, you know, coming back to the, the, the answer, this is on entrepreneurial approaches. Mm-hmm. Warren Buffett always said, you know, he doesn't believe in options. You wouldn't give a call on a stock to an institution at zero cost, so why do you give it to the individual? Put money in. That's the best way to get people to really understand how to build a business. And I think that's fundamental. When you do that, then you treat the money as your own. Please come back in a few years. Um, yeah. It'll be yeah. really nice I, to I see you I was listening to Lloyd Dorfman. He's been on your program twice. Twice. I know. Yeah. He's already. This is great. This is so easy to wind <laughs> you up. It's, it's brilliant. Well, he was really good. I mean, I just want to throw that in there as well. But you've not been well, too he's bigger than me. He's bigger than you. Well, he's bigger than all of us. Listen, it's been great. It's great talking to you. Thank you for your Thank time. You just before Pleasure. I let you go, yeah. what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Well, it, it's got to be My Funny Valentine. And it's Chet Baker and Jerry Mulligan. I think in a Paris jazz nightclub. I mean, Chet Baker died at 29, I think it was. And and I'm not a great... I'm, I like jazz. And when I was young, I used to go to Doug Dobell's in Charing Cross Road where and buy my Blue Notes, uh, Blue Note uh, LPs. You know, Thelonious Monk, uh, John Coltrane, uh, Miles Davis. Those were the, you know, the heroes. And it was just this wonderful lyrical track. And he was just operating on a totally different planet. And you, when you listen to it in its full richness, and also Mulligan as well in, that, in terms of uh, his playing. I mean, it's just, there, it's, it answers the question, you know, is there any music that moves me or moves you? Uh, and this moves me. That was Chet Baker and the Jerry Mulligan Quartet with My Funny Valentine, the song choice of my brilliant business shaper today, Sir Martin Sorrell. Make your own luck, he said. Put your money where your mouth is. Make sure you have a stake in things. And finally, don't withdraw from the detail. Brilliant stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Be well, stay safe, have a good week. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Condorea. It's business, but it's personal. 
We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers. <laughs>